You're listening to WALT. Homegrown. Homemade radio. I think that you should know that I'm not really available. You have a girlfriend? Yes. Serious? We're engaged. Oh, well, good for you. <laughs> Most men your age are so commitment-phobic, it's pathetic. Yes, men are pigs. Or they're gay. <laughs> well, I'm certainly glad to find out you're not gay. <laughs> yeah, I have to go. My mother's waiting. What are, you, what are you reading over there? I'm watching a crate being made. Please give you're, me some privacy. You're watching a crate being made? Crepe. Why would I watch a crate being made? It sounded like you said you were watching the assembly of a shipping crate. You know what? Don't judge what gets me off. Gets you off? Are the people making this crate naked? Mostly. What are you watching? <laughs> None of your goddamn business. Okay. You're listening to Fisher Family Ghosts. Adrian's watching warehouse porn. <laughs> Adrian Welcome ben. back. Oh, my God. It's good to talk to you again. It's so good to talk to you. I haven't talked to you since our last broadcast. That's not true, but for the conceit of the show, let's pretend. Adrian, let us begin. We are about to watch the fifth episode mm. of the first season mm. of Six Feet Under. Oh, my God. Can I say one thing about last week's episode? Yes, you can. That we didn't get to say, that I didn't get to say. So last week's episode, we watched with your madre. See? And your brother. Yes. And it was one where there was conflict between the girlfriend and the mom because the mom walks in on Nate eating her out. And this was something that I obviously did not feel like I wanted to talk about in front of your mom with your mom. Mm-hmm. Could Claudia be listening to this once it's posted? Maybe. It's possible. She's good that way. I know. She's not one of those parents who's like, how's how's everything going with your with your podcratch or whatever it's called? Mm-hmm. She listens to the shows. Remember when my dad called us bloggers and we were both like, oh. I, I do remember that. Yeah, that was painful. What were you saying about um, embarrassing conversations with my mom? I think it's really interesting that like the writers chose... They could have chosen any sex act, right? He could have been doing her from behind. They could have been doing the mish. Doing the mish? Right. So I thought that, like, out of all of the positions that they could have been doing, like, she could have been giving him head, whatever. Right. That was a very interesting... to do cunnilingus and have Ruth walk in and see this woman be completely selfishly pleasured, you this know? Is, this is very interesting. So, so you I think, think it's interesting that they chose... That. So you think part of Ruth's reaction was seeing that Brenda was receiving pleasure kind of shamelessly, i.e. in Ruth's house when she might walk in at any moment. Totally. She was like, I want to I want to feel good right now. We're going to do right. this. This is right. going to happen. It's super selfish to be like, oh, lovely walking around your parents' funeral home. Eat my pussy. We've already seen in the show that Ruth has trouble talking to her sons and it seems and Claire. admit and Claire and to herself about the fact that she craves sexual fulfillment. Exactly. We learned that in the first episode. Yep. What about the fact that to your point that they could have chosen any sex act? Mm-hmm. 
the act that she chose was Nate in a position of submission to another Mm. woman. Right. Where the mom is seeing that like, oh, my son is no longer mine in a sense. You know, like the passing of the torch a little bit. And doesn't respect my house enough. Doesn't respect my house enough. To tell Brenda it's not the right time. Right. When Brenda says, I want this now. We were at the dinner table and I wanted you to eat me out like at your mom's house. What would you do? Uh, I would say uh, in a very loud voice, really, my dear, this is the moment you'd like oh, me to- Oh, my God. Yep. I dry up like the Sahara Desert. Twirl my tongue through the garden Stop of delight. all the time. I don't ever want to talk to you again. Adrian, when the kids are in the streets talking about sex, <laughs> that's the voice they use. I don't know why you think this is real. It's a character from the internet. His name is Pierre Plaisir. This is He so has a French name, sad. but he speaks with a British accent. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what's this episode about? I, I don't, don't remember. Let's find out. I don't know. So I saw Nate drop the foot on the floor. I just grabbed it just to get back at that asshole, okay? It wasn't premeditated. I'm not Jeffrey Dahmer. I don't get off on hacked up body parts. You're having sex. (sighs) No, Jesus. No, I'm sorry. I cannot have this conversation with you. And I'm really sorry, but I don't think we're ever going to have one of these, like, touchy-feely mother-daughter relationships like you see on TV and in the movies. Because you know what? They don't exist! Adrian Bain? Yeah. I want to start by talking about the fact that you don't like watching opening credits. I think that's a bad opening credit. This opening credits? Every image is a beautiful, expressive poem to the themes of the series. You're making an absurd face right now. You made a face like you ate a bowl of curdled milk. Okay, this is my thing. Tell me your Sometimes thing. I think that I skip through the intro because if this is a minute-long intro mm-hmm. and I'm going to watch every episode of this TV show, and let's say, I don't know how many there are. Let's say there's 60. That's an hour of my life, my precious life, that I'm seeing the same exact thing over and over again. But every time Hashtag you see it, hack. every time you see it, you have seen a new episode of the show, and so there's something new to appreciate in the series of images that you're being shown, and how it emanates from the core thematic elements of the story. I don't resonate with that. I don't resonate with that, because also I feel like the intro looks like it was filmed in a cheap, poorly lit, Midwestern setting. It doesn't go with the rest of... I just don't think it goes with the rest. It's also very dark. I will admit that it does have different light. I don't like the light. Than the Fisher family funeral home. Yeah. But I do feel like the harshness of the light and the gloominess of the imagery is evocative of all the stuff in the show that the people don't want to talk about. Fine. Do you like when podcasts have theme songs? 
You skip those too. Every time we listen to Tannis, you skip the theme That's song. That's because it's a bad theme song. If it's bad, I'm not going to listen to it. I'm not going to waste my time. We're never going to agree on this. Probably not. Well, like Big Mouth, I think is a good intro. There are some, I'm not that's saying that's exclusive. You, that's true. You never skip because I the think, Big Mouth credits. Because it's the same. Interesting. It's the same genre. Like it's not, you know how some, some intros, it's a totally different okay. style. I take it back. I see the point you're making. You feel like there's a disconnect between yes. the tone of the opening credits and the show. Because I think if the, if in the, a way that there isn't in Big Mouth. Exactly. Big Mouth is all consistent. Also, it's a great song. It's catchy sometimes. What, you don't like the, the wormy oboe of Thomas Newman's I thought you were the one who theme? said you didn't like oboe. It's true. I can't stand the sound of the oboe. Then why the fuck are we watching this? Not a double read guy. I, Adrian, am a completist. I feel if you want to be able to say that you watched the entirety of something, you have to watch the opening credits, you have to watch the episode or the movie, whatever the case may be, and you got to watch the closing credits because they're all part of the creative vision that the people who made it for you to enjoy had. Every single moment of that involved creative decision-making Sometimes it might have been sloppy. I see the point you're making. Sometimes it might not have been in line with the aesthetic of what they put in the middle. Sometimes I might have underthought it or, um, you know, not really invested in it. That tells you something too. Takes it down a peg creatively in my book. But I believe you have to do it. Wow, I didn't know that you were I'm type not A storytelling. One of these. Do you want a gold star for all of that? Young kids running through the streets. Wow. Listening to music on shuffle. Don't put my albums on shuffle. Okay, old man, get off your porch. <laughs> I want to hear the songs in the order that the artist intended them to be heard in. Okay, let's move on from the intro. I want to is... understand the thought process. <laughs> the face you're making is making me really uncomfortable. And then I want a bowl of muselics. Okay. We'll be seeing this sooner than later. You, I see what you did there. That's a joke about our age difference. <laughs> And yeah. it was admittedly pretty funny. Okay. <laughs> okay. Can we talk about the psycho? I, I need to figure out Brenda. Not like we're ever going to figure out because she keeps all of her cards so close to her chest. Mm-hmm. Even though Nate's always sitting here bra off. Um, <laughs> You'd think the cards would fall out of it. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> um, what the fuck is up with her parents? They yeah. just psychoanalyzed the fuck out of Nate. Mm-hmm. Do you think that Brenda knew? The mom was like, oh, Brenda's fine with it. And then Brenda was like, it was mom's idea. Who do you think is telling the truth? I think Brenda is telling the truth. I think Brenda, the master manipulator, is a product of the manipulative ways of her parents. Totally. They, she tells us, have put her under a microscope for her entire life, have tried to manage every single element of the way that she is perceived and have treated her as a kind of psychological product. Yeah. Can I just say very quickly, mm-hmm. it's amazing that we started this episode by having a frank discussion about taking ourselves to dinner. And then the death in this episode was a porn, st- d- taking ourselves to dinner is a 
sex euphemism. I realized that one was a little harder to clock. It's probably because I didn't do a funny voice. Also, we got takeout. Oh, so we literally took ourselves to dinner tonight. That's why it was confusing. That's the only reason. (laughs) But it is fitting that we began by talking about that because the death in this episode was of a porn star. And a lot of the conversation is about how honest can we be about sexuality. Mm -hmm. We are a little too honest on this. Have you been reading our Apple podcast reviews? (laughs) I may have been writing them. (laughs) (laughs) That's confusing. (laughs) Okay. I don't understand the book thing with Brenda, though. The book thing is Brenda, when she was a kid, was a huge fan of Nathaniel and Isabel. Okay. Which is a book as described by the parents. Right. About escape fantasies, et cetera. Right. Um, And then because she was precocious and showed a tremendous amount of early intelligence, they submitted her for study by another psychologist who then wrote a book about her called Charlotte Light and Dark. Oh. And that's the book that Nate is reading. And when Nate has that dream about her where she's a little girl and she's all in white and then she runs off into the mist, then when he wakes up from the dream- She's in dark. She's in all black sitting against the window, so- There were a lot of good scenes in this episode. There were a lot of good scenes because that fight between Nate and Brenda was great because Nate said everything that I have been feeling. (laughs) And did you or did you not empathize with Brenda a little bit? A little bit. About people historically being unwilling to really commit to her because she's too smart. Right. I always dumb myself down in my relationships. I love a bimbo. <laughs> I, I love a broad. I do love a bimbo. <laughs> like one of the mourners at Vivica St. John's funeral. Okay. See how I brought that back? Uh-huh. Okay, Robert De Niro's cousin. Hey, <laughs> my cousin Robbie is very famous. <laughs> Loans me a few dollars sometimes. <laughs> Can we talk about, because you just mentioned that Brenda and Nate finally have it out. Yeah. And they finally say all of the things that we have been wanting them to say to each other. Stop playing mind games with me, Nate says. Stop not letting me in, not allowing me to know you. And Brenda says, okay, but you can't just run away when it gets complicated like I know you always do. Fair point, says Nate. I mean, they really say the thing. And that happens all through this episode. People finally say the things we have been sitting in these chairs begging them to say. A little bit. Claire and Ruth have it out. Yep, Um, that's true. This is kind of a having it out. Yeah, David and Keith have it out. They finally talk about- All of their relationships are electrified. Boom. You know what's another motif in this episode? Unwanted social interactions end up leading to a catharsis. So Mm. go with me. We go from- Keith and David talking about the gay firemen and police officers retreat that you can tell that David has resisted going to those things before, but he finally agrees to go. Then we go to Ruth and Claire, the watching of movies, Nate going to dinner with Brenda's parents. It is by going through these gauntlets of good manners that they are able to finally cast the manners aside and say the things we've been agitating for them to say. And what is the first instance of this in the entire show, Adrian? 
the entire episode, I should say. The cat. What? I don't think the cat has any feelings. She's talking to the cat. The cat's not there. She's like, will you at least come in here and hang out with me? The cat has clearly been resisting it. The cat, when we finally see it, is sitting on the other side of the threshold of the door. Clearly doesn't want to go in there. Finally decides, okay, I'll go in. And then he's having such a bad time. Bumps her off. Okay. Was it an accident? Are you saying it was murder? (laughs) That is what I'm implying. (laughs) I I think you're really reading into the tea leaves. I'm not suggesting the cat actually has like human emotions, but I do think Mm -hmm. it 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 does fit in with the motif. Sure. Will you give me that fits with the teeth? Well, if you don't say it like that. Oh, like when you said "do the mish." That was one time. (laughs) Now it's twice. (laughs) I've only said it one time. That's true. I've said it six times since you said it. <laughs> I'm the one who won't let it go. <laughs> now, since we're talking about Vivica and her cat, you wanted to talk about how related that sequence is, the, the opening death sequences are to the remainders of the episodes. Yeah, I guess it's like, it's all about, are you revealing your true self? Because mm-hmm. Vivica gave... A lot of fucks, literally. But she gave no fucks, metaphorically. Mm-hmm. And this is a little bit of a do you give a fuck about me episode. Like Keith is saying that to David and David grabs his hand in front of Nate and says, yes, I do give a fuck about you. And then it's also like Ruth being like, do you give a fuck about me, Claire? And Claire is like, yes, I do give a fuck about you. And that is what is happening between Brenda and Nate as exactly. well. Exactly. Is this real? Is this real? So what I thought was interesting was that it was a relatively pious episode. We didn't see people having sex. Well, it was grappling with like the other side of the relationship of like a relationship is work. Well, think about what's happening with Vivica in that first scene. She's getting ready for a date. And yes, she's excited to, she tells us she's excited to have sex with this guy. But she also says... She knows already that he's not going to stick around and that they never do. And she tells us in that scene that she, too, is looking for something more sustained. She wants both. She wants the fun and and sexiness of her life, but she also wants a partner. And all she has is this cat that murders her. (laughs) It's really sad. It is. It's like the saddest one yet. Yeah. Speaking of people with expectations that are not fulfilled we finally get the name of the woman who keeps showing up to hit on david tracy oh my god something i think is interesting is that in that scene david uses his fiance as the excuse i know when of all the times to tell someone he's gay that's the time because that shuts it down forever totally but he was also in a church outside of a church that's true he was at church but i do think it's it's notable and teases what happens later in the episode with him and keith that he chooses this thing that he views as a sign of propriety over the option to permanently get tracy out of his life if he was to tell her I have a boyfriend. Right. This is not going to be available to you. Because she still has this idea of like, oh, well, if that fake girlfriend doesn't work out, 
She still thinks that the option is like a little bit on the table. What did you make of the fact, did you make anything of the fact that when Nate and Federico are being gross with Vivica on the table, they're talking about all the porn movies they saw her in. What did you make of the fact that David had no idea who he was, who she was? I mean, I loved that. That made total sense. Obviously, he wouldn't know who she was. But is it? And I knew the moment that he walked in, I was like, he's not even going to notice her tits, which are there splayed out. Right. I thought it was interesting because to me what it suggests is David has known that heterosexuality, two words, not one, is not something that he feels a pull towards for a long time, like mm-hmm. since he was younger and of more stereotypical porn-watching age. Yeah. Something that is shared language for Federico and Nate right, is something he doesn't even have access to. So it's not as though he was engaged to his fiance because he thought, well, maybe I really am straight, and then he met Keith. It's that this has been who he was totally. for a longer time. Yeah, that it does show us that, yeah. I felt like it was it was a way of of confirming that a bit. But also like they would have been horny teens in like the sev- mid late 80s. Porn wasn't accessible the way that it is now, you know. True. I do think though that I, speaking I will I, admit I've, from experience and as somebody who was on. looking for porn before it was easy to find on the internet, Mm -hmm. you found a way. You found a way. (laughs) (laughs) You went to the store. You put one magazine inside another magazine. What? You took it up to the cash register. You made it look like you were buying Sports Illustrated, but you're actually buying Mayfair or Club. Then you go outside and you throw away the Sports Illustrated because you don't really want to read the Sports Illustrated. You take the magazine back, but you don't bring it into your house Why? Someone's going to find it there. What you do is you find a grate in the side of your elementary school that has two bars. Am I giving you too much detail? Nope. Go on. You, You slide the magazine into a paper bag. You put it in that grate so that anybody walking by there... All they're going to think is there's a paper bag in this grate in the side of a building. I don't need to give that any more attention than I already have. I keep right on walking my dog. But I, Sam (laughs) Dingman, also, none of these other 12, 13, 14-year-old perverts running around are going to get their hands on your stash because that's just for you. Oh, my God. Okay. Um, So. Hard pivot. Hard pivot away from that. Yep. Speaking of immature boys... Another outburst that happens is after the Vivica scene where Nate and Federico are being disrespectful, mm-hmm. David takes Nate into the hall and says, hey, don't do that. But she I... deserves some dignity, and I don't want to have to be the stick in the mud all the time. And Nate's like, you're right. Right. I'm sorry. No, I love that. It allowed Vivian to be a little bit of a beard for a second as to why David wasn't responding mm. to her. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't body. think about that. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was a little bit of a cover. Right. It let him make it not about sexuality. And and like, why don't I know these things? But more of like, no, I'm trying to respect this human who has passed. The other thing David says at the end of the church interaction with Tracy, the Mm -hmm. irritant mosquito, 
is he says, okay, I have to go now. I have to go talk to my mom, which is a weirdly kind of little boy thing for him to say to get out of a social interaction. In, I think it's the next scene or a subsequent scene, Brenda's parents walk in on Nate and Brenda having sex in the pool and Nate, they invite Nate to stay for a drink and he says, I don't think so. I have to go study. I know. And it's like he's a high school kid. That's a, yeah, that's really interesting. And then, of course, we see Claire being in high school, feeling like she is more mature than Ruth will give her credit for. Yeah. Whoa. I also think I loved the part where Claire says to Ruth, we're not going to have a mother-daughter relationship like you see on TV shows. I know, I loved that. And then later in the episode, we see that they're watching Gilmore Girls, which is one of the most famous mother-daughter TV show relationships of all time. My question to you is, do you feel like the dynamic between Claire and Ruth is a realistic depiction of a mother-daughter relationship? Because what the show is basically kind of audaciously proposing in that moment is... This is the TV show that shows it how it really is. I don't think that one fictionalized television written relationship can summarize all mother-daughter interactions. Same with father-son. I don't think that it can be summarized at all. The relationship I have with my mom is very different than the relationship my sisters have with my mom. Part of my sister's relationship is hoisting my mother over her shoulder. I do not do that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I do not do that. My mother's a very tiny woman and Jessica's very tall. Um, all of the mother-daughter relationships we saw, the Gilmore girls, the cousin, and Ruth and Claire, those are all real depictions. They so, all can they can all work. Oh, that's interesting. So I thought the point that you were making was when you started saying that was no show could ever hope to get this right. But They're it sounds all right. like did you find the relationship between Ruth's cousin and her and her own daughter? Own daughter. Did you find that relationship cloying? Because I found it. It's obviously different than Ruth and Claire, but it did feel like a genuine, tender, loving dynamic that works for them. I thought so too, and I also. Given what we know about the writer, what you've told me is that he enjoys leaning into stereotypes. And I think he likes complicating them. The younger cousin definitely was like bubblegum sweet to a point of like. She's literally wearing a pink sweater. Exactly. Oh, that's crunchy. What? And like bottle blonde hair. Yeah. And the mom is wearing like the most Land's End conservative outfit ever. So. And I think that the show really demonstrated their lack of depth, if I may be so bold, because they, the cousin equated her divorce, which is a hard thing to go through, absolutely, especially if you have children, but she equated that to the death of Ruth's husband, and Ruth is like, that's not even fucking close, lady. But can I say something I actually loved about that scene? I loved that scene. I loved that. The cousin genuinely tried to make an emotional connection by saying, we've been through similar things because I lost my husband in a way. Yeah. And I think that was earnest. I I think she's mistaken that it's the same thing. I think Ruth is right to correct her. Mm -hmm. 
But I like that it doesn't, the show doesn't make the cousin look stupid for suggesting that. No. She genuinely in the moment realizes, she was, yeah. I was wrong about this. And I like that it showed. I don't know if she really, I think that her daughter cuts in and is like, you know what? We need a spin class, you know? I don't think that we got, she didn't admit. I felt like what was going on in that moment is that the cousin was realizing I made a mistake. I shouldn't have made this comparison. And the daughter is so protective of her mom and loath to see her sad or uncomfortable that she cut in and tried to save her because she saw that her mom had actually made a mistake. That might be true. But I thought they were really good foils to Ruth and Claire. Before we move away from talking about fashion and accoutrement, sorry, it wasn't clear what that was a connection to. Pink sweater, bottle blonde, Land's End, shifting ever so slightly to a very different type of character, Brenda's parents. Mm. I thought it strained credibility or that they didn't think it through far enough that when they offer Nate bourbon, Mm -hmm. they offer him Maker's Mark, which is not particularly fancy connoisseur bourbon. It's not bad, but it's just sort of middle of the road a little bit sweet and flavored. Yeah. When they are clearly people who appreciate the finer things and want you to know. Yeah. Okay, last thing. What do you make of the fact that far and away, David is the one who talks to the dead characters from the opening scenes? Right. More than any other, more than anybody else in the family. It's, he's the one who sees them and has conversations and I think it's because he's down in the basement for so long by himself, touching up the people. And I don't know. We don't really see that David has a lot of friends. So. That's true. Oof. None of them do, though. We don't see it. That's true. We don't see it. They could have friends, but we don't see it yet. They only have the romantic partners do we think nate had friends in his life in seattle i think nate had people who were buddies but were never a friend he never refers to them doesn't seem to miss them doesn't seem to miss seattle because i think he's really hook line and sinker on the idea of like this is my purpose the only fisher we have seen have an interaction with a friend is ruth Mm -hmm. They're all kind of loners. Yeah. Mm. They all belong to the same club. Thanks for listening to Fisher Family Ghosts. As always, if you would like to send us a note about anything you've heard, you can do that by sending an email to ffg at walt.fm. And if you love the sonorous, witty, insightful voices that you hear hosting this show. We have great news for you. This isn't the only place that you can have that experience of listening to them. Isn't that right, Adrian Bain? That is correct, Sam. Because if I'm not mistaken, Adrian Bain, you are the host of another podcast. I am. And what is that podcast called? That podcast is called Strangers Abroad. And what transpires on that podcast? So I when we were allowed to travel, would go abroad and interview strangers that I met and have very deep conversations with them. And my second season is more of a 
melange of travel storytelling from different people based on different themes. So kind of like The Moth, but very well curated. You know what I just realized in this moment about your podcast? It doesn't have theme music. (laughs) No, I use different music every time. Yeah. I also have a podcast. It's called Family Ghosts. We do have a theme song that we play at the beginning of all of our episodes, at least in the first three seasons. Shaking it up in season four. What's season four? I'm so glad you asked. It's the season that we just released on January 14th. If you like stories about complicated family legacies and people reckoning with them long after the people who complicated the legacy have passed, you will love Family Ghosts, I humbly think. Anything else you'd uh, you'd like to say, Adrian? You're looking uh, you're looking a little sleepy over there. I'd like to cuddle now. <laughs> okay. Goodbye, friends. Goodbye. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>